Nice buns, soft, fluffy, and ultra low net carbs. Discover Hero Bread, the delicious ultra low net carb bread with incredible taste and texture. Hero Bread has zero grams of sugar and is under 100 calories per serving. Plus, high in fiber with 5 to 10 grams of protein per serving. Order from Hero.co now and get 10% off your first purchase with promo code AH10. That's 10% off with code AH10. H-E-R-O C-O. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Hello and welcome to another edition of Turned Out a Punk. I'm your host, Damian Abraham. And once again, I'm bringing you a conversation with someone who grew up listening to punk, may or may not still be involved with punk, but had the life changed by the genre in a major way. And today on the show, huge guest, a, a rock and roll hall of famer that apparently played in bands after this, but was a member of 27 of the Seattle punk and hardcore bands that make up the early Seattle punk and hardcore scene, Duff McKagan is on the show today. And this is my second, well, we'll get into all this thing, but Duff, Duff and I have talked before, but believe me, not like this. More on that in one second. But first, if you want to get in touch with me, head over to the email address, turnedoutapunkpodcast at gmail.com. That is run by my brother and show producer and guest booker extraordinaire, Tristan Abraham. Thank you. Thank you, Tristan, for all the hard work you do for this show. And he will get the message to me. You can also find me on Twitter or Instagram at left for Damien. There are a... YouTube page, a Facebook page, an Instagram page, and a TikTok page, all for this podcast. And those can be found at Turned Out a Punk on those respective platforms. And uh, stuff gets put up there, videos and whatnot, and the like. So check those things out. Also, the podcast gets posted on YouTube, too. So if you're one of those people that has to listen to a podcast on YouTube and are suffering through this on another platform right now, don't worry. It's up there on YouTube, too. Uh, If you would like to support this podcast, just tell all your friends about it. Let everyone know that you know that we do this podcast here each and every week, twice a week now. There's going to be episodes going up of different types. They're not always going to be sort of these actual Turn Out of Punk proper episodes, but we got two episodes a week now. We're, We're going full bore with this podcast, so tell your friends about it. And speaking of going full bore, I go full bore in a band that I play in called Fucked Up. We will be uh, doing some shows coming up in the new year with the great, the mighty, mighty Super Chunk on the West Coast. And so if you are around the West Coast of the United States and Canada, come out and see us and hang out and we will have a good time. It's my favorite place to tour. Oh my gosh. It's like the, the green belt. And uh, yeah, we'll, we'll have a fun, well, this is going to be a fun tour. Oh, I'm excited for this thing. Um, so find out more information over at fuckedup.cc. Uh, we also have new records constantly and stuff going up there. So check that out. Uh, I think that's it on to today's show. As I said off the top today on the show, Duff McKagan is on the podcast and Duff is someone who, well, I kind of alluded to this. Yeah. He's kind of been on the show before. If you go back through all the episodes, you might be able to figure out who he is. He's, um, but but there's also a previous interview that I did with Duff on the currently on pause great Danko Jones podcast, and Danko and I sat down with Duff for an extended conversation backstage at a club in Australia where we were playing. It was a or no, they were playing. Danko Jones was playing, and 
I don't think Duff played that night. I just I think he just came to the show to see Danko play. Anyway, it's a fantastic episode. I think it's still up there if you look up the Danko Jones podcast on your uh, podcast provider and go way back. I think like 2014, maybe. I don't know. But anyway, ever since then, I've wanted to have another conversation with Duff where I could really just kind of like just talk punk stuff. And this has been uh, a long time in the making. And thank you to everyone that kind of worked to make this happen on both uh, sides of this thing because, yeah, it's brief, unfortunately, but we get into some cool stuff. And, and Duff is someone who, as he tells me on this podcast, played in 27 of these early punk bands and was just constantly a fixture in that scene and someone who's, oh, I don't want to spoil any of the stuff coming for you. There's some real cool deep dives nerd stuff in this episode. Uh, but uh, Duff does have a brand new solo record called Lighthouse, which you can check out now. I believe it's a self-released album, if I'm not mistaken. Um, and you can find out more information at DuffOnline.com. It's up streaming everywhere. Great record. Features some incredible guest appearances and cameos and, and collaborations with the likes of Slash, Jerry Cantrell, and, of course, the great Iggy Pop. But we talk about this in a second. Uh, Iggy Pop stuff. You'll hear this. I'm not going to ramble on anymore. Sit back, relax, and enjoy Duff McKagan on Turned Out a Punk. Duff, welcome to the show for the first yes. time ever. Of course. Uh, very excited. Thank you for having me. Well, I feel like this is actually my... Well, apart from the, the one we will not talk about, this is like my second time truly interviewing you because I, I was on Danko Jones's podcast with you right. way back when That's in Australia. Right. Yeah, and that I feel like I, I kind of scratched the surface of this early Seattle punk conversation with you that I've been wanting to have for well decades at this point. So finally, it gets to happen today. Yeah, cool. Let's go. Well, I got to start it off the way they all start off, which is stuff. How'd you get into punk? Do you remember the first time you ever came across it? I mean, yeah, I mean, it was, it was early. I I'm, I'm 59. So, and I was a young punk. I was the young kid, like 13 years old. Uh, you know, the older kids were 18. Um, and they were like, they had driver's licenses, you know, um, a whole bunch of things. And they knew about, uh, how I got into it was I saw, I started seeing flyers on the telephone poles in Seattle of like DOA, the mentors, the lewd, but whatever it was, it was, it was scary. Um, but I knew it was speaking to me and I was the last eight kids. I listened to all my older brothers and sisters music, which was killer. You know, I'm talking like sign the family stone and James gang and Led Zeppelin and, Amazing, right? Great way to grow up. The Stones, Beatles, all of that. But I always, you know, like these people are really old compared to me, all these. And suddenly I saw this kind of younger thing. And then I met a guy with a pink mohawk. He was a friend of a friend. And he asked me to be in, hey, you want to play in a band? And that turned out to be Chris Crass, uh, who was the guitar player for the Veins. He knew that I played drums he knew i played bass he knew i played good. you play all the stuff and i was 13 <laughs> i'm like well yeah and um so we formed a three-piece band um our first gig ever was opening for black flag ron ray's version um you know 1979 i guess yeah uh um i think ron was only in the band black flag for you know decline of course he was in that but I think he only did that one tour too, right? Like they went up the coast and then in Vancouver, I think that's when it. That's the one, that's the one I did. Yeah. yeah. I'm Seattle. We just did Seattle at Washington Hall. But before all of that, when we, when I entered into this band with, you know, Chris Grass, and then we got my buddy Andy uh, uh, to play drums, Andy Freeze. And I was, I was Nico team, you know, this is 79. It was a, lot more innocent and it was a lot of fun you know uh pogoing and all that shit before slam dancing even uh i started to go see all these great shows and i uh the people that were like my mentor at that point was kim warnick from wasn't even the fastbacks yet 
She's still my mentor to this day. She's bass player for the Fastbacks. Um, she was 18, you know. She had a car. She had a cassette player. Which she'd make mixtapes. And she would, like, turn me on to the sweet, you know, 999, The Clash, uh, Slade, and then Stooges and MC5, Kurt Block from the Fastbacks, turned me on the Stooges MC5 and gave me this history lesson, as I remember. You know, the Stooges and MC5 and Slade and Sweet and T-Rex and, you know. Uh, and then it dolls and then it pops over here to the you know, Ramones and, and Pistols. Anyhow, I got my history lesson. But I started listening to a lot of, you know, stiff little fingers and, and uh, exotic. If you're in Seattle, that's exotic. I didn't know what a suspect device meant. You know what I mean? Yeah. My mom, we're, we're Irish family. My mom heard me playing that record and she came in and what is this? And I, she, uh, she looked at the cover and then she started, these poor boys. I'm like, what do you mean these poor boys? They're in the troubles, you know? And then she explained it. So I got history lessons and from punk rock and, and, uh, Anyhow, I got in. That's how I got into punk rock. I could give you a, I could talk for three hours. Dude, this is like everything you've talked about there. I want to dig into more. First of all, Veins are an unbelievable band. That seven inch is so good. Like just so raging. And Chris winds up playing, I think, in that band, The Max, too, right? At some point. I think he played. Yeah, M A C S. Yes. Yeah, he might. I think he was in The Max. Yeah, for sure. There were so many cool little. Those side bands or whatever, you yeah, know, tons. It's it's amazing when you and because you brought up all these bands and one that you didn't bring up that I'm I'm interested to talk to you about is I find like like with Australian music like ACDC yeah. is just kind of woven into the DNA, and in the yeah. same way with Pacific Northwest rock and roll, I think it's like the Sonics and the Whalers and that kind of stuff is like in the DNA and it's kind of like yeah. so foundational and I think. Like that's that's proto punk in the same way you know the Stooges and the MC Five are. Well, I mean, I mean, funny enough. Okay, so we're talking about the Sonics. So I told you about my older brothers and sisters' music. One of my older brothers was in a band. He taught me how to play my first chords and made me keep time on the drums. You know, when I was like sixth grade, and you wanted to be keep time. You don't want to fuck up because it's all the older <laughs> cool kids, right? So you get better playing with older people and um but one of his records because i think it was just a, a northwest thing he had the sonics and on there i knew how to play records from really young and and real like real to real tapes because you had to if you want to listen to music mm-hmm. and um the sonics i would just over if you're five six seven years old the witch is kind of everything because to you it's a real witch like like in the it's not like some chick. I didn't even imagine it being that. I thought yeah. it was about a witch. A know? literal witch. Like like Wizard Halloween Oz. witch. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Yeah, Wizard of Oz, that type of thing. Um, so, yeah, that record, it's woven, you know? Like, we, in the veins, we played the witch. You oh, know, that was that one of the covers. We covered the witch. Oh, that's awesome. With Chris Kraft singing. That's She's got long black hair. Uh, um, and uh, uh, but you're right about. And then I asked Iggy, you know, you know, because I played on a couple of records with him. I'm not trying to say I know Iggy. Well, he, he sings on your new record, so you you, you kind of know him. I do, but I still ask him the dumb questions. Oh, you have to. What did the Stooges? What were they influenced by? I asked him that a long time ago. That's how I talk when I talk to Iggy. Um. <laughs> uh, and he said, man, the Sonics, the Sonics were a big influence to us. I'm like, I, so I start piecing like you just did. Piecing, okay, the Sonics, Stooges, totally, totally makes sense why I, I love the Stooges right off the bat, you know? Mm-hmm. Hey, yo, yo, we got a new puppy barking at my uh, guitar, which is not going to bode well, buddy. <laughs> he just wants uh, you to play. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know what he's doing. He doesn't know what he's doing. Um, it's yeah, interesting. Go ahead. No, it's interesting you say that about the Stooges because you're right. Like 
what would have influenced the Stooges because it is such a unique thing. But then you hear the Sonics and like, it's got to be like one of the first, you know, maybe not one of the first, but certainly an early example of people screaming on, on a record. Yeah. And, yeah. and just where power is, is privileged above tunefulness and which is, I think, such yeah. a hallmark of punk. That's a great way to put it. It's 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 I love I love that stuff so much that like Pacific Northwest kind of and like you're saying there's so much interesting stuff like be at the max like I always thought the max like did did you when you were in the fastback did you guys play with them at all because they're both kind of power pop bands and yeah yeah I mean the max were, were cool um there was a guy what was the what was the singer's name it was something Mick Mick something his last name started with MC I believe um hence the max yeah uh um yeah i mean i there was really cool uh like power pop like you know we had the modernettes like as a that's a band you want to be like if you're a power pop band mm -hmm. you know everybody and pointed sticks and kind of that type of thing uh the jam you know uh if you want to call that power pop but the the influence of power pop they were all over the place i mean uh, but the Max, there was a cool power pop scene. You're, you're right. There was a band called the Deans who actually, uh, Pam Lillig, who was in The Girls before that. I don't know if you've heard of The Girls. Mm -hmm. um, the Girls were a great power pop band, turned into the Deans. Kim Thale tried out for the Deans back in, you know, <laughs> when he's at the University of Washington. Um, that's his claim to fame there. I tried out for the Deans and they, I didn't get in the band. <laughs> They're um, regret now. Yeah. But we had, you know, the great thing about when I was coming up in Seattle, um, you know, crossing the border to Vancouver, um, you know, DOA was like my kiss. Mm -hmm. You know, there was kiss. You know, I, I appreciated kiss. Kiss Alive one. How can you not? And uh, I mean, there was such I heard the Pistols record and it was like months after I bought the kiss record. It was the first record I bought because of the cover, you know, and then I opened it, got home and I didn't know it was a live record. And I felt like, ah, oh, shit, it's a live record. And then, then I got into it, you know, firehouse and all that strutter. And, and then, then the, you know, like I said, the, the, uh, I see the telephone poles and the thing and I meet the guy with the Mohawk, Chris Crash, and he turns me on, you know, pistols, you got to get that record. Got to get the first Ramones. There's records you had to get. And the, the Kiss was such a great introductory band for me into punk rock, into Pistols. Three chords, uh, mid-tempo rock like Kiss. You know, different subject matter and different all that. But it was a, I, it was understandable uh, parlay, mm -hmm. you know, from Kiss to the Pistols for me at yeah. 13. Um. And I, and I always I look at Kiss as being something that kind of comes out of the New York Dolls in a way, you know, and there's yeah. there it is almost like proto-punk in New York. Uh, they're kind of playing on like the, in the same sort of world, the dictators and all these bands are. Kind Absolutely. Of like Absolutely. Um, yeah. So so we were talking about Power Pop and, and I started to bring up DOA. That's where we're at. And so DOA would play in Seattle. Then we would go. We'd start playing gigs up in Vancouver at Smiling Buddha, you know, all the time. And Smiling Buddha was this little crappy club that didn't really care how old you were. Uh, it was down in a bad, bad area. It's a bad area still. It's actually worse in yeah. Vancouver and Hastings. Uh, but it was bad. It was like one of those fight in, fight out kind of clubs. You know, fight your way in, fight your way out. Uh, very tough. Um, really good for a young you know, I was still a boy, but really good for me how to grow up and seeing real, real tough people and real, you know, people with drug problems and all kinds of stuff, eye opening. But got to see a uh, uh, DOA up in, in Vancouver, Kiss, and uh, a bunch of times, and then got to know them. We got to stay at the, the DOA house, which was amazing. And I don't know if you know, you know, Zippy Pinhead. Yeah. Was, right yeah of course zippy became the, like our, my brother you know um 
you know, Randy Rampage was too big of a deal for me to call him. He was fucking Randy Rampage, you know, like that's, you know, God level. He, yeah, he floats on a carpet and biscuits and, and shithead. And, um, but we got, we got exposed to, like I said, the modern hats, subhumans were so good. Um, so and, and so good point of sticks there was there was just so many cool bands in the scene with very vancouver bc uh there was a lot of influence from the b in the bc back then mm-hmm. still the british mm-hmm. uh you know i saw the professionals we actually opened for them in, in vancouver the fastbacks when i joined that band was that uh, where they, they would have been filming uh, the stains or something around? There? They must have been. I, I talked to Steve about this gig, and I think I think they were. They couldn't get into the states because uh, Jonesy had like a you know a drug bust. Yeah, yeah. So played the Commodore, but I got. I mean, God damn it, man! When I saw Paul Cook and Steve Jones walk in, you know, sound check, I was like completely what do you say it's like robert plant and jimmy page yeah. you know yeah to me if you're yeah i mean there's no difference um, I, I also think that professional record like and i'm, I'm sure I've, I've read steve jones say as much but like unfortunately the drug problems were so heavy at that point but those those songs are so good and that band just cool. another dream is oh. just a ugh. little boys in blue like that yeah. song is just so yeah there's just so many killer tracks on that it's nights. funny, my my um um so let's see it would have been like I was kind of in high school, I kind of wasn't. Uh, um but me and all my my friends who would have been in my high school grade, guys and girls, bunch of us. The Empire record? Yes. You're, oh my god. The Empire record and the professionals were the two go-to records. Those that was everything because that was kind of the next phase that's 1980 now 1981 mm-hmm. 82 mm-hmm. maybe even mm-hmm. I, th- I think and 81, 81 that one comes out yeah 81 let's say 81 and um if you look at my roosevelt high school senior um uh yearbook the, the, the senior class you'll see above people's pictures or below them where they have quotes you know people have quotes if yeah. you're a senior um there's so many empire quotes in there that's wild because like yeah you know do you know you know about the influence of that record on the dc scene right like that i've heard about it like ian mckay and all those people when they kind of like as minor threats kind of running its course and they're, they're looking for what's next like it's that empire record that really is yeah. like the foundation of that whole sound it's such that's and it's Wore such it. a worn out and, and, it's so, and it's such it's a record that i think was like a critical flop at the time you know or certainly a commercial yeah. flop at the time right like the less yeah. the lesser half of generation x but the influence that thing had through seattle and through dc it, it's wild yeah that chorus guitar you know yeah. i mean really that and the magazine base uh, on the band magazine is where i you'll hear like an appetite i hear my ba- bass sound and I use chorus on a bunch of different songs, Appetite in, and Illusions. And that directly came from me asking Kurt, well, how does he get that sound? That's a chorus box. What's a chorus box? So I discovered chorus and never looked back <laughs> from, from, you know, from, from Empire and Magazine. That's Absolutely. wild. That's, yeah. oh, that's amazing. Um, not trying to insert myself into the story i wasn't no please that's uh, that's what i find fascinating about this whole thing is also because like you're like the utility player amongst these seattle bands it seems like you were in like like a dozen different punk bands recorded yeah i was in a uh i think 27 (laughs) i counted them i'll i mean some of them were very short-lived or as you call them fuck bands you know yeah um I, it's interesting but, uh, it's like so it's like seattle and vancouver it seems like from what you're saying and it seems like this relationship is maintained but it's almost like one scene in a lot of ways i mean it was de- definitely two different scenes vancouver was the greater of the two for sure um d- during that 70s 
78 through 77 through 81, mm. Vancouver was had place to play. Uh, great support system. Seattle had a great support system with bands. Like and and you know, in, in what I mean by that is, you could borrow other people's guitars, amps, the rehearsal space, the trading of ideas and chords on the guitar and how to play this thing. And that uh, drummers watching other drummers and bass players watching, you know, it was just really everybody was in it together, hmm. you know, because it was punk rock and it was our thing. And let's make let's all make each other better. And it, and we I think we learned that a lot of that from Vancouver, you know, it was just so supportive of each other. So it's just a natural thing. Seattle never lacked for really good players. I mean, my band 10 Minute Warning at the end had you know greg gilmore on drums who went under mother love bone of course paul yeah. soldier on on lead guitar soldier's a legend yeah. you know yeah. um and he was such a smooth fucking guitar player and so cool and and we had david griggs on on bass who was like this alice cooper you know killers era like bass player super rap super inventive and rad a Mo's right bass and uh i played rhythm guitar and and um we had this singer you know uh steve swad who was, was this kind of long hair and and just wore like leather pants and nothing else you know just like wow poor silver paint on himself but there was great players great imagination um People trying to push the limits, you know, hardcore came in and came out. Hardcore brought in all the, as you know, this story. Um, hardcore was great. I mean, like that Southern California, you know, adolescence and the germs, of course. And uh, the bands that started up down there, Circle Jerks and, um, and the DC scene had you know the minor threat record had come out we're talking now we're talking 82 right ish 81 germs record was 80 i think the first thing 79 that first seven inch and then i think 80, the seven inch right yeah, the, the no god seven, seven inch. Yeah. yeah um right so you know hardcore was was awesome i played in the farts i played in a hardcore band i played you know drums in the farts but what I saw and what everybody else, like from now I'm like 18. Now I'm one of those 18 year olds. Now I'm not 14 or 13 anymore. And you saw the punk rock was so all in it together were except all the weirdos and the striped people and the, you know, guy with an ear on the top of his head. Doesn't, didn't matter who the fuck you were. If you were into the thing, we were all in it together mm -hmm. and um, hardcore started and that was great. We're all in this thing together. And then the, the, these kids from the uh, Pogo went to like slam dancing and um, these, the, the suburbanite, you know, jocks started to come in and think that was fighting shape in their head and doing like white power shit and whatever and gangs, you know, mm -hmm. like, Oh, mm -hmm. this isn't punk rock violence gangs uh white power like that's no you you're, oops you guys fucked up and it really kind of killed a whole swath you you know you had to think of you had to do something different and i know that's when 10 minute warning really came we slowed shit down and there was a bunch of bands that were doing really cool stuff i didn't leave seattle because there wasn't talent and i couldn't play with people at my level or something like that it was the drugs that came in. The drugs also came in hardcore and the, the you know, the, uh, the skinhead guys came in and this is not just Seattle. This, this happened. It, it's the natural evolution of kind of a punk scene. Yeah. Yeah. There's a great book called disco's out murders in mm -hmm. um, fantastic written. Uh, you read it, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So that really highlights the, what, what happened. And that guy, he even admits like, yeah, we killed punk rock. Yeah. Know? Yeah. And it, it and, but I think it also, in that it is, you know, in that it is a horrible thing, and you're like you're saying, like a lot of terrible shit comes in with that. 
and yeah. it drives a lot of people out. But one thing that does tend to do is spurn on um something change. New. Yeah, change yeah, exactly. Yeah. Right. It like, really did. No, it absolutely. It wasn't like, okay, you can't do that anymore. Mm-hmm. Hardcore taking it away. Mm-hmm. You know. Um, so yeah, I mean, went for me it went to 10 minute warning, which we really it was like prog rock almost, you know, it was, it was punk rock, prog rock with some. Stu- Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac burger, McNuggets or McCrispy sandwich, but you're the filet fish sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. It's proto-grunge. Like that, especially by the end, that stuff like the 84 kind of yeah. recordings. Like it's, you really feel like, oh, this is kind of heralding in what would become Seattle's kind of calling card. In right. Yeah, like Stone and, and Jeff like started Green River, which mm-hmm. was a that, you know, it's, it's morphed, and the U men were already kind of there, you know. Um, but I moved to LA because I mean, uh, heroin really decimated my, that band, and it would decimate my roommate, you know, my best friend who was my roommate, uh, my girlfriend, everybody was strung out, and um, and a and a friend of mine who was strung out, he said, "Dude, you gotta leave, you gotta leave now," you know. Um, so I, I did. It took a, a junkie telling me to leave. It's the best thing you can do. You can't pull a geographical on drugs. I found out when I got to Hollywood, you know, it was there too. Yeah. Um, but more to music, the, um, I, I knew whoever I was going to meet, but I was, I was going to do something with, it was going to have to be in this new inventive change. What's next type of thing. And, you know, I met Slash and I met Steven. Then I met Izzy. I mean, I met everybody so quick in, in, in what would become Guns N' Roses. Um, and everybody was, you know, kind of like-minded. Like, we kind of knew. Now we're 19, you know, 19 and 20. We knew, like, whatever's next. Now we're real. Like, this is the age where it's going to happen um, or not. I guess, uh, but you didn't think about not. And we knew like whatever was going to be next what was on our shoulders. And when that band formed, the five of us, we really like saw the capability, like the just the sound and the chords we'd hit and the songs we first started writing. It was like, oh yeah, this is, I mean, it might be only cool to us and, <laughs> and uh, you know, 200, 250 other people, if we're lucky, you know, but it was cool to us. And that's what you got to do it for in the first place. And I learned that from punk rock. You know, I really like punk rock for me. It's guided me through life. And, and it, what I mean is like I saw the I saw the clash in 79 at the Paramount before London calling. And there was a wooden barrier in, in front of the stage at the Paramount and uh Everybody's pogoing. And, you know, I mean, everybody, like 150 people, the scene wasn't that big. And the, the yellow coat, you know, security guys saw this pogoing and it scared them. And, uh, you know, they're big guys in the yellow coats. And uh, security guy busted a guy's nose, who we knew, Jeff Larson, broke his nose. He was in the front row pogoing with his arms down. And they thought he was being violent and they bro- broke his nose. <laughs> Clash stopped the show. They stopped the show and Simonon went and grabbed an axe from the side, like a firefighting axe. And Strummer's like, we will cut down this, this fence between us. There should be no fence. There's no difference between us and you. We're all in this thing together. And we're like, fuck this. And they were as big as Led Zeppelin to me, the clash, you know, I'm like, whoa, he's talking to us directly, you know, like this is us and you and, um, I mean, I snuck up to the fire escape with Kurt Block after the show and like the window that was open went right into their dressing room. <laughs> you imagine seeing something like 14, 13. I mean, I've seen it since. 
And then when I always see a kid like sneaking back, I'm like, come on in. Because they were so nice to me. Yeah. You know, hey, yeah. how you doing? Probably they're like, okay, we'll give this guy five minutes and then he's got to be out. Um, but they were, they were very nice. But that that gig to me, we're all in this thing together, you know, and uh, um, just doing it your own way and believing in yourself and believing in uh, kind of an ethos of purity and all-inclusiveness and, I don't know, badassery. You know, like, remember, like, Motorhead, Ace of Spades happened in 1982. Killing Joke yep. happened. Yep. Uh, all these killer fucking things happened in there. So that really flavored everything. And, and punk rock, to me, back to punk rock, what it did for me, like, the punk rock ethic took me through my the rest of my, my till now you know i raised my kids with a punk rock ethic you know mm-hmm. be a badass put your chest out put your head up you know you're a badass um to my girls you know to my wife with my wife it's helped me be like a not be a fucking prick you know or you know something snap or do some shit like just be cool and take it in and and what can you do to make this situation better what's the solution you know let's get to the solution and that's punk rock man you know um so it's a grounding like that's how i knew when we were on that Soundwave tour that if i went into your dressing room and i knocked on the door and said i wanted to talk to you about the farts that you were going to be cool because even though you're one of the biggest rock stars of all time you come from this thing that we're all part of and it's like a, a continuum that draws interesting, weird, cool people and gives them permission yeah. to just make whatever they want to make. And it's music yeah. a lot of times, but sometimes it's like art, sometimes it's film, sometimes it's fashion. But it really is like this fascinating thing that just kind of continually exists and, and kind of like you're saying grounds people and like exposes you to politics, exposes you to like, you know, yeah. in America by the fastbacks, like, you know, talk about right. A, an incredible worldview of a song yeah. written by like teenagers and it's like teenagers it's it's what an amazing genre that we have that kids can write these kind of songs and they can still be relevant years later yeah the kids the kids then grew up a little faster you know we're a bit more or i think we're probably a lot more aware of like you said politics and and sort of the zeitgeist of, you know, not to use a big word, but, you know, of the feelings in, in America for it, for, in that case, right? Mm-hmm. The kids were just, it was just more grown up. I felt like I was a full adult by the time I was 15. Like, okay, I had a job, you know, got an apartment at 16, you know, like you just grew up a little faster. Uh, these days, the kids although they're smart and my, my girls are super smart and blah, 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 but they just didn't grow up quite as fast, you know? Yeah. And, um, uh, it's, it's interesting. Cause like, I wish my kids, I don't think I don't want them to necessarily find the sound of punk rock. Like I don't care if they're, what they listen to is the same thing. But yeah. I wish they had, I wish they had the same thing that this was where yeah. it's a place that encourages you to kind of like make stuff. And if you show up, you better be in a band and if you're not in a band you better do a fanzine or you better put on a show or you better just help contribute to this kind of thing and what you're like doing. you said fashion whatever yeah. right yeah yeah haircuts haircuts you know? yeah just it doesn't feel like it's still there right but it just i don't know if i just worry it's not going to be there in the way that <laughs> i wanted to be for my kids at some point yeah, it's funny with my girls, you know, uh, my oldest Grace, like she listened to, you know, it was like Taylor Swift, Justin Bieber, mm-hmm. you know, that stuff from 12 and 13. Then she got it into EDM. So I was like, mm, all right, where's she going here? And then one day I walked past her bedroom, her Johnny Thunders and the Heartbreakers. <laughs> oh, my God. Not from me. Not yeah. from me. And uh, we did a trip to New York and we saw that movie CBGB's. It's not a great movie. But but uh, um, Steve Bay, Cheetah Chrome was there at the at the screening, and like he's in the movie or whatever, you know. So Grace is like, I said, 
And I know Cheetah Chrome. And Cheetah came over after the movie and I said, hey, Grace, this is Cheetah Chrome. Movie, you know, Dead Boys. She was like, oh. And her and her friend went back to the hotel room and they, because Iggy was in there and they listened to Fun House. <laughs> and their, their room was next to us. And we just heard all this like craziness and fun. And I go in and, was, and they were jumping up and down on the bed. And dad, how come you never told me about Fun House? This is the best <laughs> record ever. And I was like, oh. You know, I didn't play that stuff. I didn't like force that music on him, but it came to him. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and then May kind of like, my younger one was like, okay, well, this is the cool shit, you know, Blondie yeah. and, you know, Johnny Thunders. and Yeah. I want uh, the Fastbacks to be talked about more and celebrated more. Like, talk about an amazing band for kids to get into. So they made a new record, man. They never got bad. They, they were like one of the few bands that never got bad that existed for this. Like, you know, like what a, what a run they've had. I think ever- they just, they, so they have a new record. That's I got awesome. to hear it. That's awesome. <laughs> And I think it's their best record they've ever made. That is a bold statement, but you know I, I believe it because like they're like pop geniuses. Like that group yeah. is like right from that first single with you on drums all the yeah. way through. It's just like hot track after hot track, remote yeah. level. They're just yeah. I mean, um, yeah. I mean, fastbacks. Yeah. You always have to have fastbacks in there. They are the, they were the thing that everybody always liked, whether you're a hardcore dude or what, you know, the fastbacks were always cool because they were so, it was the real deal, the real thing, sweet, innocent, in your face. Um, you know, you could like Kim Warnick's just the fucking American badass. Kurt is the you know mad genius. Still is. I mean, I go to Kurt's house and it's still like a punk rock house. Guitars everywhere, beer cans, and you know, it smells like weed and coffee and you know, like that old smell, like smells bringing back. <laughs> He's got his like studio downstairs, records up on the wall, every you know them five zillion records and and it's just super fun like uh, you go you know his porch is like mic stands and shit that won't go in the house you know <laughs> yeah yeah that's uh, awesome it's it's a uh yeah like it's a it's a, a testament to the fact that here's this band that kind of like never really fit in sonically i guess with like any one thing but still no. is like the best band in town yeah the cheaters yeah. were amazing too, right? That's the pre. Cheaters, yeah. Cheaters, Kurt and Al Block, the brothers. Scott Dittman, who uh, he passed away. Um, the cheaters were one of the flyers I would see up the, on the, you know. So they were a little older than than, but yeah, cheaters. There's a band called The Accident from Bellingham. There's check out that single. It's on the BGS, right? Is it? It's great, great single. They were great. What about uh, the enemy? The enemy were amazing. Yeah, the singles yeah. awesome. The enemy was like live. Oh my god, they were like, oh, they're gonna be like huge, you know, because they were all like, pro- like really professional players, you know, or whatever that means. Um, older, really good, you know. Uh, the refusers, yeah, were, you know, kind of like our dictators and dolls and you know um there's a lot of a lot of cool bands you know that that oh you know so i don't know if you know this but showtime is doing a i interviewed for it a couple times and i'm just amazed they're doing it they're doing a four-part docuseries on seattle punk what and pre-grunge Wow. Uh, it's what wild. I said. I said, are you sure? <laughs> I mean, I think it's cool, but I don't know if a lot of people are going to think it's cool. But they interviewed like everybody, Stone, you know, everybody who was around, Suit and Silver. Um, well, it, it kind of like if you go back to like the Wiz Kids and, and the Chocolate Check you out. Well, look at you. <laughs> well, I'm obsessed with this shit. I'm like, I like, but I, you know, it kind of starts in Seattle. 
at the same time as it's starting anywhere else. Like Seattle's like one of the epicenters of this thing starting. Yeah. And and I find it's interesting with Los Angeles, there's almost like a constant punk brain drain, like the lewd moving down or, or the yeah. screamers moving down or the mentors moving down or yourself moving yeah. down with Greg. Yeah. There's like, um, it, it feels like there's always like, you know, it's hard for a band to get built up there because like, you, I guess there's a feeling that you can't really do anything past a certain point in Seattle. So you have to move. Uh, back then, yes. yes, there there was not. I mean, you know, there was many times there was just no place to play. Most of the time, we'd have to rent out a union hall or something to have a gig, uh, which is all good and fun when you're, you know. But not having a place that that means just your friends are coming to the show. There was no place to play where you could make the next step. You could open for Fear when they're coming through town. You could open for, you know, if you're lucky. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> well, there's a uh, dance ordinance, right? Like you couldn't have teen dances or something in Seattle. There was a thing for, yeah, they tried that for like a footloose. Couple, <laughs> yeah, they just it was. There was this place called Dance Land USA. It was a punk rock place. It was great. It was up a flight of stairs off First Avenue. Perfect venue. Like, okay, we've arrived. We've got a venue. We had the Metropolis too. Like things were looking up, and whoever, man, you know council member this or mayor that or whoever you know the bad people they came in and they, they didn't like the looks of punk rock mm-hmm. you know back then that that's everything you got beat up for being punk rock by those car car full of jocks passing down the road you know mm-hmm. drunk hey punk rock you know yeah Get, i got the shit beat out of me four different times like badly for just looking different so the the looking different thing was was a bigger there was a bigger gap by far back then now you can be you know obviously you know there's punk rock clothing stores at the mall you know there just wasn't wasn't that you made your own shit you know back back in the day uh anyhow it was it was threatening it's it, anytime i think anyone chooses to stand in in opposition to the norm it scares people and, and yeah. violence is sadly a reaction that a lot of people yeah. end up going to. Yeah. I think when Joey uh, shithead was on the show, he talked about the first, I think the skulls, they were still the skulls back then performance yeah. uh, opening for the lewd and the lewd showing up and being very glammed out and it freaking the hell out of the bikers that were doing the show that they were all playing together. Oh, uh, And, and I yeah. think they chased the lewd back to Seattle that night right yeah so it was a uh yeah like it's 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 interesting now where you go to the mall and every store has a nirvana shirt and you're like yeah this is every store has a misfits shirt every store has a misfits shirt yeah ramones you know yeah yeah Yeah. it would it became but as mainstream as it is it's still also winds up being this weird underground thing and i think that's the other thing that's fascinating about it is like no matter how big it gets there's still like a core nucleus that's like the same thing that you guys had at one point where it's a bunch of kids playing in bands together uh doing something different and trying to do something different you know and it's and that's that's what's made i mean there's this band i mean i don't know if you know the garden from orange county a new band uh they now they've been around for about six years okay they're, they're twin brothers. Okay. Uh, there's two of them. Um, and they do, I think their dad has been a roadie or something for X for like 40 years. Yeah. And these two guys, they're, they're so different and amazing. And it's like, oh, these guys, they get the whole old punk rock thing. I mean, they're, they picked it up and carried it forward. Mm. So there is like once in a while there's there's some little group, you know, like, ah, and okay, the dad worked for X forever. So they get like all that stuff. The kids, they play hockey. They're six foot four each. They're amazing musicians, good looking guys. They wear like weird Joker makeup and stuff there. And I've seen them. I've seen them a couple of times. Their, their videos are amazing. Well, like over the Linda Lindas, where they're like, I was talking to them, and I'm like, "How old were you when you went to your first show?" And it's like, "Oh, I was at Channel Three when I was like two years old." Wow! So like, the, you know, their their parents were punks, so they kind of grew yeah. up. Like you're saying, wow. there's like a generation of kids now 
that like like you said you raise your kids with that values and i kind of try uh-huh. my wife and i raise our kids with that kind of value system where yeah these kids whether or not it, whether or not they're into it sonically they're they're kind of raised within punk yeah 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 uh, at at roosevelt high that high school to me the real rock and roll high school that you went yeah. to uh were you in any classes with sir mix lot uh i'm sure i was i mean guys I, the same I, age yeah, yeah, I know. He was he was at school. I mean, yeah. I remember there, there was like this like rap contingent, you know, and it wore like the, you know, the iron-on letters on the, the sweat jacket. And they're super cool. Like, I, punk rockers liked rap, you know, and the rap guys liked the punk rockers because it was all new and fresh and cool, right? Um, and in New York, it like very much came out of graffiti, like the same energy that's giving hardcore uh is is giving early hip-hop too and like the same people are writing graffiti that are into both worlds and stuff right right so yeah i mean i knew who i definitely knew who he was you know that's awesome well also because nikki six is there too right and el he's older he's they're older so they weren't there while we were there okay no they were um i think nikki's was probably is maybe five years older than me so he was there. And so when Motley Crue, kind of that first EP thing hit, we were probably, you know, uh, seniors in high school. Mm. And uh, I was like, yeah, the, the guy, the Nikki Six, he went to Roosevelt. Like, wow, you know, oh, it is possible. But, you know, you're saying this around, you know, Mike McCready and, you know, all these guys <laughs> who went on to, you know, uh, mix a lot and, but there was a yeah, it was a great school. I mean, that's the school I told you where like Empire mm-hmm. and you know professionals were the most played, you know records. So, well, it's so awesome too because like, it, like El Duce and the Screamers were in a band together, and it's like at this high school in Seattle. Like, there's just so much musical energy that's coming out of this place, and it's just yeah, the Wiz kids, a lot of those Wiz kids, uh, you know, went to Roosevelt for sure. Like That's uh, so awesome. Yeah. I remember seeing those people, like the glammed out people, like, whoa, what the fuck? But I, you know, I was like nine. Yeah. You know, 10, ten years old. Like, oh, whoa. Were I any of your older siblings into that at all? No. No. A glam rock, like, nope. Not that I know of, you know. I mean, Bowie was was uh played in our house yeah. you know um but nobody went full on did you, like i did was you know? was el duce as infamous back then like did, yeah he, so right right from the get-go he was that guy yeah 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 yeah, yeah for <laughs> sure yeah no he was weird and fucked up and like whoa he plays with dildos you know like plays drums with dildos and yeah. sings yeah uh, yeah <laughs> It's it's a uh, yeah wild. Scene. Have you seen that mentors documentary? I have. I that have. is a, a very insane documentary. That you know, I got a call um, when I got my finally got my apartment in Hollywood. Shitty little apartment. I got a phone. You had a phone, and I got a call. And is this Duff? I'm like, it is. This is sicky wife beater. Giving you a mentor's welcome to Hollywood, California. I'm like, okay, we would like to invite you to play in the mentors. And uh, I was like, oh, fuck, I didn't move to LA to be in the mentors, man. How do you avoid this? We're still the mentors. You know, you got to be cool about it. But um, yeah, I got the invitation. <laughs> I got the mentors, sicky wife beater, you know, <laughs> invitation to Hollywood, California. Oh, that's amazing. Yeah. <laughs> the, yeah. uh, cause like when you go to LA, you do, you form the road crew and I think Ron Reyes auditioned, right? From Black Flag? Ron, so I was, Ron and I had a little thing called, uh, what was it called? Pop, pop something. Um, and we played this guy, Randy. He was from Montana. He was in that, like, Circle Seven or something, some punk rock band from Montana early. Um, Randy lived in the building next to me. Ron, Ron and I became really good buddies. We still are, you know. Um, and he really had grew his hair out, and he was like into Hanoi Rocks and Prince and stuff. And 
the things you would, you know, matriculate to. And um, yeah, I, I don't know. Road Crew was Slash and me and, I mean, Slash and Steven had the band before me and I they needed a bass player and that's how I met Slash and Steven. Mm. Um, maybe Ron tried out, I forget. I think he's the I most think. underrated Black Flag singer. Like I, I like everyone, you know, everyone goes to the one of the other guys, but I like yeah. his decline part is so good. Yeah, you know, I agree. Like it's yeah. just such a killer, killer vocal. And yeah, and Izzy also had been in a punk band prior to, so I guess he had kind of experienced that same sort of hardcore thing. Funny thing out, but... is, yeah, funny thing is, me and I Izzy, we're you know, when you get to know somebody, you're like going through your like stuff, right? You're telling. And so when I was in Fastbacks, we played with the Naughty Women. Oh, wow. And he was the drummer. He was in the Naughty Women, which was kind of like a dictator's, you know, kind of they dressed up in like women's clothes, Naughty Women, you know? Yeah, yeah. And I think it was like a guy from DI or the DIs. I always got those two bands confused. Mm. They're two different bands, right? Yeah, I think so. Uh, um yeah, there was just some punker guys, you know. Because he played, in, he was in that yeah. band, The Adams, too. Before that, with um, one of the guys from Decry and Monty, yes. who right. uh, plays in that band, DFL, was the singer right. back then. So, and a great band too. The Adams stuff is is killer, kind of like Dolls influenced. Is um, he played drums too? Like, so yeah. he was the drum. Um, he was kind of like me in a way, you know, like just trying to figure it out. Um, uh, but we had played a gig. That's awesome. In like eighty-two or eighty-three together, down That's... at uh, Cath Cathay de Grand in, in Hollywood. I know I'm jumping all over the place, but there's so much I want to talk to you about. But like that, that early ten-minute warning stuff, that first on the Lung Cookies compilation. That Lung Cookies compilation is one of the great comps of all time. But the the stuff you guys have on that is so raging like, is that almost, like buried buried alive and that that kind of stuff the way it is i think or the um, oh, this this is the way yeah, it is the way sorry this is the right way. so that's when i was still playing drums yeah you're on drums on that stuff right yeah no it was it was cool there was this recording studio here in seattle it was at a music store and you could get you know i think it's probably eight track or something but you could get it for for nothing and the veins recorded their single there American music and we did this um day you know you're gonna go on a day day of recording right yeah like uh you record you know first take or second take and you're moving on uh but that was pretty inspired you know that was an inspired day and you got soldier playing guitar and he's just fucking ripping it you know um yeah and that was the morph that was right in between the morph of from farts to timid warning mm-hmm um, yeah, it's got that kind of like Pacific Northwest farts, poison idea, early accused rejectors kind of raging. Like it's got yeah. like this real beefy hardcore take on hardcore. Yeah, yeah, agreed. Um, I just like, uh, yeah, there's something about that sound that, um, and I guess it would evolve into grunge and you can kind of see how that could evolve into grunge, but it's almost like that, I guess, DOA kiss informed take on punk music right yeah and with with some like yeah maybe some discharge yeah and and, and motorhead you know because that that was big motorhead and tank and discharge you know that new wave of british heavy metal early kind of like and, and gbh you know yeah. pretty uh, uh 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 city baby's revenge there there's um yeah like a real like uh uh rage to it too that um and, and also a musical verseness like all you guys are like super you know even the poison idea guys too when you talk to jerry or, or those guys and look at their record collections like everyone was like a deep head about this music like it wasn't just what was being handed to you it was about digging and trying to find new stuff in this world yeah yeah yeah, yeah. for sure yeah the record store was all it was all about going to the record store yeah and having your trusted record store guy like what's new hey if you like you know you know if you like discharge check out this you know yeah. whatever um and those compilation records were great too you know you get to hear 
bands like Vice Squad or, you know, who, you know, like just a bunch of uh, D. Coitzen or whatever, you know, like you'd be able to hear all this stuff from, you'd read about them like in scene reports in Maximum Rock and Roll, but you didn't hear them. Mm -hmm. And so these compilations gave you a chance to make that connection. Yeah, like the Seattle Syndrome and all these compilations that now serve almost as like, in some cases, like one band's only chance at a historical yeah. record. Um, yeah, the K Rock ones were great. Mm -hmm. You know, Rodney, uh, the Rodney ones, uh, the Eastern Front. There was a compilation. There was a ton of them. There was just a ton of them, and uh, uh, there were some really, really good ones. Who you know, who like the, the curators of these comps you know how somebody put together a comp because they were just our age you know how did they figure it all out well that's what i was thinking about when i was listening to lung cookies today because it's like a lot of stuff from uh minnesota on it yeah. you know there's some new york stuff but all of it kind of has like a sonic cohesiveness to it yeah. that yeah. like is really well curated like it's all yeah. all these bands fit really well together and like you're saying there's like this sort of a in our level of, of yeah of yeah yeah curation to the whole thing hey listen i gotta go yeah let me uh can i grab a photo with you before we go yes to post with this episode was, well yeah awesome then okay. uh let's uh duff anytime you want to come back on here and talk about this stuff because there's yeah. lots of stuff to talk we didn't even talk about the silly killers We've just be only just begun. Scratch surf, you're always welcome here, my friend, in, Thank in you. this form or another form. Appreciate it. See you later. Thank you. Bye. How sick was that? Thank you, Duff, for coming on the show. And hopefully at some point, Duff will be back for a part two because I had a lot more to get to. But as you can tell, Duff had to run. And when Duff's got to go, Duff's got to go. But... So check out Lighthouse now, um, and uh, yeah, we'll, we'll get that part two coming uh, some point down the line. Check out Duff's book. It's so easy. Great read. Great. Uh, I think there's an audiobook version, too. I'm sure there is, and probably a fantastic listen as well. And uh, check out Dango Jones's podcast and get on him to bring it back. I'm, I'm on him all the time to bring that thing back. But that is... Oh, Black Coffee Brigade. That was the name of our crew that we were all part of through Danko's podcast. Duff, a fellow member. So, All right, that is that for today's episode. Coming on the next episode, it's going to be a, a real good one. My buddy John Gourley from Portugal, the man, will be on the podcast. And John is someone I've known for uh, well years at this point. I first met him years and years and years ago, as we talk about, and have watched as they've just kind of, you know, gone from strength to strength. And this is a fun conversation. This, there's some surprise in this one. And we talk a lot about Paul Williams. So that's, that's a dream episode for me with a buddy talking about Paul Williams with some punk surprises. You can't, you can't top that. All right. Well, that is it for today's episode. Remember as always, black lives matter. The lives and issues faced by indigenous peoples all over the world matter. We need to protect trans kids and help trans people protect themselves and their rights and stop hate and violence towards people of different faiths and different nationalities because we're not ethnicities, different, whatever. We're not talking about politics here. This is just basic human rights. People deserve to be able to live free from hate and violence. Like, this is just human rights shit. So if there's organizations that are affecting positive change in your community or in the world around you, get involved. And if there's things that are moving you, see what you can do to try and help. And, and I don't know, it can feel overwhelming. It can definitely feel overwhelming. And maybe there's a way to mitigate that by getting involved and, you know, doing that work. Speaking about getting involved though, if you want to, an escape from everything get involved in punk get involved in your local scene there's shows happening there's bands happening right now wherever you are and uh these are people that are you know making art from a very pure place and you can do it too anyone can be in a band anyone can do a zine anyone can do a flyer anyone can run shows and uh it gets better when you get involved 
Speaking of getting better, try meditating. I know it's it is something that people talk have known about for years, and maybe something you tried and been frustrated with. Cause that certainly was my experience. But when it does click, it it really is incredible uh, what it can provide for you. And I got to remind myself to do it constantly. And when I do, I'm grateful to have done it. And finally, sign your organ donor cards because by the time they come looking for those organs, you don't need them anymore, and it can make miracles happen. I've seen it happen. And that's it. Try and stay positive. Try and stay safe. And I'll see you on the next episode. Thank you for listening. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.